Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast continues to enjoy inclusion on list of the best podcasts to listen to. Uh, everywhere from uh, Proven to Inc.com to Forbes.com and a whole bunch of other uh, sites in between, we are uh, continually gaining recognition as a great resource for uh, business and entrepreneurs. This is really because of the guests who join me. Uh, They share their expertise with all of you. You take what you need into your business and hopefully are able to convert that knowledge into uh, greater success, whatever you define that to be. Today is no different. My guest today is Bill Coletti. Bill is a reputation management, crisis communications, and professional development expert, keynote, Wall Street Journal risk and compliance panelist, and best-selling author of Critical Moments, The New Mindset of Reputation Management. He has more than 25 years of global experience managing high-stakes crises, issues management, and media relations challenges for both Fortune 500 companies and winning global political campaigns. Previously, Bill served in the Republic of Bulgaria as a senior advisor to the Prime Minister, Council of Ministers, and the Labor Minister, which, believe me, we will be asking him about later. Thanks so much for joining me, Bill. Thanks so much for having me. This is a, a great conversation and congratulations for that amazing recognition for the work you're doing and for the podcast. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. It really, I, I mean, all of the, the kudos go to the guests. I've been really fortunate over the years that incredible people have been giving of their time and joining me for 
one of these chats, and and, uh, what we are going to be talking about today is a critical topic for, I think, any size of business, because especially it seems like in this day and age, uh, crisis or uh, reputation management is um, sort of like a minefield, it feels like. There's so much going on that's being uncovered all the time. Yeah, it's absolutely true. We, we, a lot of different clients from large enterprise level to smaller entrepreneurs and just solo practitioners get caught up into this sort of expectation of the public and their actions and the disconnect between those two. So it happens. Yeah, 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 it's crazy. So talk to me about how um, crisis, uh, how corporate crises impact a company's reputation. Yeah. So if I mention um, United Airlines, um, a lot of people will think about the last trip that they took. Some people will think about the wonderful customer service they had or the horrible customer service they had. Some people will think about uh, in 2016 when a um, passenger was in an overbooked situation and was was drug off the plane, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Dow. And so Dr. Dow drug, um, was drug off the plane by, by, it was in Chicago, by Chicago Aviation Police. And there's a lot of people that when they think of United, they think of that. Now that's fleeting. That was 2016. That's changed. Um, we've seen Starbucks get caught up here recently with some challenges directly related to um, customers that were at their facility and, and some issues related to race, two specific instances on that. And so it's my belief that a company owns its brand and there's any number of things that organizations and companies can do to control their brand. They can spend more on advertising, they spend more on social, they can create a really wonderful customer experience, but it's the public that owns their reputation. And so while I may not be a customer of Starbucks or United or BP, uh, which is the big oil and gas company that had the tragedy in the Gulf of Mexico some years ago. I have an opinion of them, which is different than my brand opinion that I have of them. So I have a, as a customer and, and someone that experiences their products, I feel one way, but as just an observer on the outside, I think of something different and see something different. So crises impact reputation, which is more about the public Um, but it also directly impacts your customers as well. That's so interesting. The public owns your reputation. Yeah. I've never looked at it that way. Yeah. And so it it really came to me, you know, in this construct that if you come from the marketing discipline and that's basically, that's obviously where brand lives, you know, you have a vice president of anything. You have a vice president, a major corporation, you have a vice president of pricing, a vice president of place promotion. You have a vice president of any number of things within the marketing organization and that's their job. And those are levers. Those are controls that companies can pull to impact whether I like or dislike um, the relationship that I have. But For us, there was never really any, those of us that think about reputation, which typically lives in the communications function of most organizations, there's very few people that actually think about levers that you can actually control your reputation with. And there are, there are seven is what I write about in the book. There are seven levers that companies can control 
um, to try to impact the public and the way the public views who you are different, like I said, different than the way customers view you. Okay. So let's explore what some of those levers are. So, and if, uh, maybe if I, for, I mean, because I don't want you to give the whole book away, but <laughs> how, how does a company manage something like their reputation? Yeah, so it, it has been typically a very unmanageable process. And there, there, there are people that carry around on their business card that they are the vice president of reputation management. And very often that was kind of viewed as philanthropy or, or CSR, you know, sustainability mm -hmm. types of issues. Or, or they're the folks that wrote the big check to the United Way. And that was the extent. And they thought that was reputation management. And that's not, is that the public, in my opinion, there are seven things, and again, we don't need to unpack each one. I'll, I'll just highlight a couple of them. There are seven things that, that the sum and substance form the way people view the reputation of a company. And it relates to um, employee endorsements. Do their employees say good things about them, uh, whether that be on Glassdoor or wherever they, wherever employees talk about it, because they're your primary ambassador for your, for your company. This notion of your leader, uh, leadership, the CEO or the, the titular head of the organization, people form an opinion about that. We form an opinion um, about the leaders of, of most major uh, American corporations and even small ones. Most of us want to know who's actually running it. So the way the leadership is viewed, the way the employees are treated. Um, financial performance, um, organizations are viewed as high reputation are those that have actually do, that, that perform well, not necessarily quarterly um, in, in, a, in a publicly traded context, but they've been around for a while. They're, they're, they're doing good things. They're doing good things with their resources and financially resources. And then the last two are really a little bit crossover into brand, but it's about their products. Their products are innovative and unique and interesting and solve a unique problem. So there's seven, but there are these seven things that you can actually measure and through public opinion research and otherwise, you can ask people, do you believe that the leadership of company X, fill in the blank, um, runs their business with it, with, um, um, for the good of society? And then you can ask the same thing about employees and, and about transparency and financial well-being. So there are these seven categories that you can sort of unpack what reputation really means. And that was the big learning because it's pretty if I said, let's go manage a reputation, it's difficult to do that. If I said, let's go manage the retail experience, most people know exactly what to do. People that in obviously right. experience, they know exactly what to do. And so I tried to create a structure that helps people understand exactly what does a reputation management program look like. Fascinating. Okay. So what is the, is the, like the mindset and the behaviors that um, that that of leaders that perform best in a crisis. Like, what is different about them? Yeah, a terrific, terrific question. Um, you know, there's a handful of traits, and so I believe in crisis situations. And I came to the discussion of reputation management and my sort of thought leadership on that, I came to it because most people realize they need a reputation management program or some sort of effort post-crisis. 
is that yeah. some <laughs> negative event happens, they get misaligned with the public, and they recognize that they need to then go into reputation management. So it's, you're, you are, you're kind of getting to the center of the bullseye with the crisis. And what, in my experience, and having done different forms of crisis for over 25 years now, is the key differentiator of the organization, and then I'll talk about the leader, but the key differentiator in the organization is speed being fast. There's a vacuum in the marketplace and newspapers are calling or the TV station is out front or your customers are upset. Filling that vacuum of information is the key to those that do crisis great and those that do crisis good. So that's speed. But speed is made up of two subcomponents that are critical. First is mission and values. What do you stand for and why do we stand for it? And then chain of command. How are decisions made? Is the general counsel have to be involved? Does the board need to be aware of this? Can the CEO make these decisions on their own? And so the key personality trait, once you have that level of understanding, the key personality trait in a conference, in a, in a crisis is really directly related to, to Wayne Dyer and some thought that he has. And he has this phrase that says, we can often, we, we don't often control what goes on the outside, but we can always control what happens on the inside. And so leaders that don't panic, leaders that don't overreact, leaders that take the time to distinguish smoke from fire, those are three traits that have been my experience of leaders that get it right as long as they remain true to that equation is that mission and values plus chain of command equals speed is that they know what they stand for and they true to it and they get the help that they need from the chain of command that values them. So that's a, that's a, a lot of word salad there, but but those are kind of the individual as well as the institutional traits of those that get crisis right. Okay, so so one of the things that I think of when you say that is, um, I when General Motors was having a problem, and boy, I wish I could remember what the problem was. Though this is that makes this maybe potentially somewhat more interesting. Mary Barra would not budge until the investigation was done like mm-hmm. congress and everybody kept trying to get her mm-hmm. to say something you know stand on a hill do something and she's like until the investigation's done i i'm not weighing in mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that felt to me like it brought the temperature down because she was being a leader because she was saying i'm not going to jump to conclusions i'm not hair's not on fire i'm not going to make some decision that then could come back and bite me later because it's the wrong decision, but I was making it in the heat of the moment. Is that some of what you're talking about? Absolutely. Perfect, perfect example. And in fact, it's an underappreciated case study of exactly what I'm talking about. And so speed, which is critically important, you know, they did have, they had a negative event and the event doesn't matter. They had a negative event and they responded, but they didn't, way get way ahead of their ski tips like you're suggesting of saying oh my gosh we're gonna fire this vice president and we're gonna issue a recall and we're gonna do this that and the other thing because she was absolutely true to those mission and values and that they are a they are a learning empathetic research-based organization and they're gonna get to the bottom of it because they don't know what to fix until they know what to fix and just sort of flapping around half cocked is not in anybody's different is not in anybody's best interest so understanding the mission and values was the key differentiator. They were not particularly fast, as you point out, with the solution, but they were very fast 
with articulating what the path forward is going to be. And I think that Americans in particular, but most humans are pretty understanding is that you got to fill the vacuum with something. And if not, someone else will fill it, fill, fill it for you. But yeah. having that clarity was critical. And, and she did a really, really excellent job of doing that. So your instinct is right on. That's a perfect example of that. It's a little counterintuitive because some people would think you got to fill the, fill the vacuum with facts and figures and details and action plans and blue ribbon commissions and whatnot. Um, right. Sometimes you do, but you don't have to. You, you can actually fill it with leadership and fill that vacuum with leadership and, and thoughtful calm as long as nobody's getting hurt. You know, if there, if there was yeah, a, yeah. a pharmaceutical company and there was an, this endemic challenge, you can't fiddle while Rome is burning, but you don't right. have, you, you got to stop the bleeding, obviously. But once you stop the bleeding, you don't need to um, jump, you know, way overreact. So great instinct, great question, because that's really an interesting perspective. Do you think, um, thank you for that. It's weird, because I wouldn't have thought of it if, if you hadn't been um, talking about that in particular. But do you think that, part of the reason that I can't remember what the crisis was is because of how she handled it, that it didn't, because I, I can remember a lot of crises in, in, you know, major corporations. This one, I can't, does that, is that sort of how reputation management works that when you yeah. handle it well, absolutely. it, it oh, it's so interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is that you, you remember the journey. You don't remember the truck stop. And so the crisis is the truck stop. That's the thing. That's the event. That's what have you. But what you recall is this arc of good feeling because that leader showed empathy and understanding and clarity and, and did, did, a, did a lot of really important things on that particular lever, lever, which is about leadership being a privilege. The distinction is Tony Hayward, uh, who is the CEO of BP, when the Deepwater Horizon rig blew up in the yeah. Gulf of Mexico, his commentary was, I would much rather be sailing in the Thames River than, <laughs> than dealing with this here in New Orleans or Louisiana or whatever the case may be. And so we remember that uh -huh. truck stop more than we remember the journey. And BP is, has clearly, it was a tragedy, it was a huge mistake. Yeah. But BP's done some terrific, terrific work to remediate and, and to get it and to get it right. Right. That's a, point. That's a great point. So, okay. So, and, and what about, what about this whole Boeing seven, eight, whatever this plane yeah. is? Seven max eight, seven, three, seven max eight, something like that. Yeah. 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 Cause I sort of feel like, boy, they have so screwed this thing up. They're never going to be able to fly that plane. No, oh, absolutely. I would, I, I would agree. Um, I, I don't think it's quite as, never is a really, really long time. Yeah, uh, true. Come back as the Max 9 or the Max 8 Plus. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> it could come back like that. That's a branding question. Um, but no, absolutely. Their response was slow. Their response was legalistic. Um, there was no clear articulation of mission and values. There was no real articulation of empathy. Uh, there have been a number of stories written about that. So again, just you, and that's the point about brand versus reputation. You and I are probably not buyers of Boeing. That's right. not going to buy a Boeing. But we, we as observers, the public, we have got a view of their reputation. You have formed a view about them, and you will never buy a Boeing in your life. Uh, I would assume you're never going to buy a Boeing. Yes, anymore. I would assume as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but, but you have formed an opinion on that. So that's that point about reputation. But yes, they were 
Um, not really clear on what they stood for. Their, mess their initial messaging was kind of all over the place. Their chain of command got way bogged down with attorneys and being very, very legalistic and, and lawyer laden. Um, and so that was a challenge. And then just fundamentally, they were slow um, kind of blaming it on the pilot, blaming it both, both incidents of those planes on pilot, right. um, as opposed to a, a, a different tack that they could have taken that probably would have been better. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. This is so interesting to me, um, which is part of the reason why I wanted you to be here. So I am going to take a quick sponsor break and then I have some more questions for you. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are Do Business Better by Damian Mason and Breathe to Succeed by Sandy Abrams. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're speaking with Bill Coletti about how to handle a crisis in business. So... Um, let, let's, so, you know, most of the people listening are small business owners, and um, I, I'm imagining crisis can happen on a smaller scale for a small business as opposed to a, a large company. Um, but so what can small business owners learn from these large companies about crisis management? Great question. And, it's, and I don't know if it's exactly what they can learn from 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 big businesses because they're, so is there, there's such a misalignment on scale, but I do think mm -hmm. that they can learn something um, that I teach and share with a lot of our large enterprise clients is that the single best thing and the easiest thing that a startup or a, a small enterprise um, can do is with their leadership team as they're talking about and trying to understand their mission and values pick up the Wall Street Journal or New York Times and or your hometown, hometown newspaper business section and said, if that had happened to us, how would we react? Whatever that is. Okay, so right now we've got a pharmaceutical company that's in the crosshairs, uh, some major lit litigation victory, um, you know, for the plaintiffs. You know, for an organization to say, if our product was abused and, and used poorly, and people got hurt, and then we got sued, how would we respond? And so I think great leaders that I work with in big or small corporations take five minutes, maybe, maybe 10 minutes a quarter or at their monthly meeting or whatever their leadership structure is, is to say, if this would happen to us, how would we respond? And it does a couple of different things. One is that it forces clarity and chain of command because there'll be some people in the organization that are just like, have no clue of what to do. And that tells the leader something relative to chain of command. You might hear from your lawyer, or your legal team, your legal advisor that says, well, we would say absolutely nothing. We can't say anything because we're going to get sued. That tells you something. But what it also does is that if the hypothetical in this 10 minute exchange that a company has is it lets the CEO set a tone and, and set a vision, which goes directly back to mission and values that says any number of things. But one I, would, I love to hear is that, 
if we screwed up and we hurt somebody, first thing we're going to do is apologize. Because, you know, Diane, if I hurt you in a traffic accident or if I hurt you on a street corner or wherever, I would apologize because that's what humans do and that's what nice people do. And it would, while you might be really pissed or angry or hurt, you would accept that apology as a sincere mistake. And so if it was not malicious intent and our product hurt somebody, let's talk about apologizing. Organizations should have that exercise and stakeholders within the company, general counsel, marketing, whomever should say, oh my gosh, absolutely, we can't do that. It is so much easier to do that in a hypothetical, something you pulled out of the headlines, as opposed to while you've got a, you know, 60 minutes online, online too, that you're waiting, to, that, are, that is waiting for an answer. So that's the single, just a mini, mini case study of just saying, hey, if this happened to us, how would we react? It doesn't even need to be the Wall Street Journal. It could just be something that happened in your adjacent industry, maybe one of your competitors or something about you, you heard, you know, through the grapevine of your industry uh, chatter. Um, but talking about it in advance makes people better. I mean, you don't need people like me. Um, and that would be a great um, next chapter of my career where we sort of put me out of business. Uh, but unfortunately, fortunately, or <laughs> unfortunately, <gonna> yeah, fortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, how you look at it, um, their, their companies aren't doing that and having the discipline to say, what if? And people would be so, so much better if they did that. So why aren't they doing it, do you think? Oh, they're busy dealing with logistics. They're busy dealing with inventory control. They're busy dealing with pricing. They're busy dealing with HR. Um, they're ostriches with their head in the sand and say, that could never to me. I'm just a small, I'm a small, you know, one state bank with three branches. Um, that's not applicable to me. I'm a small lumber yard in San Diego, you know, never happened to me that, that nobody cares what nobody cares what happens to our organization so they do it because everybody's busy we all you know I've, I've very rarely sat in an hour scheduled meeting that didn't last an hour and so you know uh, issues cre issues create fill the vacuum and then two is that uh, people just think from a hubris standpoint oh well that can't happen to me you know our employees are too good and we don't make mistakes like that and that would be pretty foolish um, so it's 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 everybody's busy, hubris, and sticking your head in the ground like an ostrich. Okay, so so let's talk about the flip side. Well, it's not necessarily the flip side, but talk about the impact on a small business. If because I love what you're saying about just practice uh, on things that are happening around you. So if God forbid something does happen with your company, at least you're better prepared because you've been sort of, you know, role-playing this thing. But it, 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 so my gut says a crisis can be a lot harder for a small business to overcome than a big business. Is that a fair belief? Um, I'll push back and ask you to clarify, what do you mean by overcome? Do you mean get out of the news cycle and no longer be the subject of the front page or getting your business back to normal as fast as you can and, and continuing to grow your enterprise? So you can get out of the I paper. I think getting your business, grow. yeah, get, getting, getting it to go away and getting your business back on the right track so that you're spending your time and energy growing your business instead of trying to put out a fire. Yeah. So yes, that is harder. And that directly relates to resources, you know, so, you know, uh -huh. leader of an organization, you know, Tony Hayward, the companies we've mentioned, Starbucks, Tony Hayward, Boeing, et cetera, et cetera. 
the CEO can go focus on shoring up their relationship with major customers because they've got a very, very talented senior vice president that can manage the incident and manage the, the challenges, both media and perception as well as regulatory or whatever. Most small business don't have that luxury of resources in order to do that. Um, the other thing is that, you know, most small businesses are overly dependent on a few key customers. And if those key customers get upset and, and leave, then that really sort of changes the, the equation. Large businesses, a little bit more diversified, don't, don't, not significantly impacted by one particular um, customer that's there. On the flip side is that sometimes small businesses are just faster. They just say, we are sorry, we screwed up, we're gonna fix it. And if they've, if they've thought about their reputation, because the, the goal in most crises is simply to just get the benefit of the doubt. People are forgiving, okay? People are forgiving, and if, you, and if you strive to get the benefit of the doubt, and you get the benefit of the doubt by saying you're sorry in situations that dictate it, some don't, situations that dictate that, is that you, um, you get that benefit, um, and it's easier for small business because they're usually closer to their community. They're closer to, I don't like the word stakeholders, but those that matter most. They really are, they, they are closer to those that matter most as opposed, as opposed to a, a large enterprise. So those are, those are some of the advantages that small business have over large business. Okay. So, so that's helpful. It sort of, um, it becomes not so scary. Uh, if I were going to push back on that, I'd say, with them being so close to the stakeholders in their community, they can't really afford not to act fast. I hope because, hope so. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. And you know, the ivory tower. Yeah. The ivory tower is is the definition of a major American corporation. Is the ivory tower, and everything looks pretty good from up there. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely yeah. you're absolutely right. So that is, you know, if we're if we're keeping score, kind of score one for the small business, you know, that they have that ability. Um, to, yeah. and, 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 and it's not like they have a choice, quite frankly, because they're, right. uh, they're at the ground floor of the ivory tower and not at the top. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's interesting. Uh, it, it, we, we can bob and weave and be flexible and all of that, which is really great. We just have to make sure we're doing it yep. in, in a lot of, uh, different areas. Mm-hmm. And also small businesses, okay. have an, small businesses have an advantage because they, they really, really know who matters most. They know their biggest check writers. They know their, their employees wow. really well. And so they really know when it comes to mission and values, back to that notion of speed um, and chain of command for that matter, they know who matters. Major American corporations that are like all over the place and different verticals, mm-hmm. it's difficult to really know who matters most because it's, it's almost, it's like situational ethics. It's situational stakeholder. Um, but small businesses have that advantage. Oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of it that way. I get that. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So crisis hits. What's the first step you would advise a company to take? Learn first the facts. Learn the facts. Learn ah. the facts. Just find out what's going on because smoke versus fire um, is one of the is 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 something that's really important. You got to you got to figure out is this truly a fire? Is this smoke? And so one of the things that frustrates me when I walk into clients or, or I talk to CEOs and leaders is that some very well intentioned marketing person says, "Oh my gosh, this is blowing up on Twitter." I have no idea what blowing up on Twitter means. 
I, I have no <laughs> idea what that means. I don't understand that concept. I suppose intuitively I get the intent, but as a leader, I don't know how to operationalize that information. So the first thing is, is really let's get the facts. Let's understand what's going on. Um, and, and so that's really, really, really the most important thing. And then the second most important thing is say something. You, you got to say something to the public, to those that matter most. You got to tell them something. And it could be, much like to your, your excellent Mary Barra example, it could be, we're looking into this. We know that this is important and we're going to get right back to you. And then do it. Then get back to them. Don't just buy the time and then, you know, don't deliver. Yeah. But yeah. do those two things. Um, which is get to the facts, get to the bottom and say something um, and no comment is not really an option is that those are really, really two best things that sort of organizations could do. There's more that's there, but I think at the outset, you get those two things right. And back to my case study when, when senior leader teams, they should talk about that. Are we okay yeah. saying something even though we have nothing? And some organizations are and some organizations aren't. And you should, I'd like to know that in advance. Um, if we're okay saying something when we have nothing. Right. And don't you think that as long as they know what they're going to say, it, it makes it easier. It, it feels to me like this um, flying by the seat of your pants thing is what gets most companies in trouble. So they're not prepared. Absolutely. Which, which yeah. I think is the simple remedy is let's have a staff meeting and talk about the headline, you know, ripped from the headline. Let's say, right. what do you do if this was us? Not hard, not expensive. You don't need an expensive consultant. You don't need a formal, you know, strategic planning agenda. You just say, based on what we read in the paper, don't, facts don't matter because what's in the paper are the facts. Yeah. And let's say, how would we react to this? Yeah, I love that practice. I, I think part, part of what I like about it is that it becomes a practice. So it becomes something that is normalized so that in the event that something does happen, that they are already they can say, oh, this sounds familiar. When we talked about this, this is what we said we would do. And it's no need to panic. Yeah, right. It's empowering. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then that feels like um, part, of the, part of what comes out of that is for the community, for the observer, for the consumer, for the client, whoever it is, um, that we feel better because we feel like it's in steady hands because they're handling it in a way that is calm. Yes, absolutely. We, we're, yeah. You are, you know, the, the joy of leadership is, is the privilege of being in charge. And if you want people to give you the benefit of the doubt, you got to let them know you're in charge. You got to let them know we're on top of this. We are aware of this situation. We are working on it as quickly as we can. And we're going to keep you updated every 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever the, whatever the cadence is that you determine that's there. But absolutely, that's what people want. And that's what people expect. And, and with social media, which is the big, obviously been a big game changer in what I do. Yeah. Someone's going to fill the void and someone, some somebody's going to say something, you might as well be on the record with what you know when you know it. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, so you've noticed, uh, uh, it sounds like th there's a, been a shift in. Is it a shift in, do we have to be quicker now because of social media or should we have always been quick or? 
Yeah, I, I think you, you have to be quicker. There's a 24-hour news cycle. You used to be able to keep your powder dry until the 6 p.m. news and that you knew the, new, the newspaper wasn't going to come out until 6 a.m. the next morning or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. So now, I mean, everything's real time. And, and the difference between a story written at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and when you read it in your news feed at 5 in the morning, it, nobody, there's no differentiation. So, yeah, it, it clearly has changed. It's changed everything. You've got to move a lot faster. Yeah, it's really a shame. Because I think part of the reason why people don't handle crisis well is because they feel that they're reacting, not responding to yes. whatever went on. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Wow. But it's but it's, yeah. it's we're never going back. We're not going to unring that bell. We're right, good. right. They got we got to learn how to deal with the current reality that we're in. Yeah, yeah. All right. Speaking of current reality, would you please share? <laughs> I gotta know. Uh, what. So about your experience in Bulgaria, and then I'm curious about why you made a big change from advising them to advising companies. Sure. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun story. So that was like 98, 99, 1998, 1999 when I was over there. And so I had just finished running and I'd been in, I lived in and so got there in, in, um, in January of 1995. Um, and in 94, I had just finished, which gosh, when you say those dates, it just feels like so long ago, uh, which, <laughs> because it was so long ago. Um, but I had just finished running a statewide campaign in 1994. And anybody that you know that's been involved in politics will say, you know, I never want to do that again. That's, that's exhausting. And so November, December of 94, I moved to Bulgaria in January of 95. And um, just through a series of circumstances, stumbled my way into meeting the ambassador, the American ambassador. I was the first executive director of the American Chamber of Commerce in Bulgaria. Through that, became um, affiliated with a company that was doing work for the prime minister. Um, and this was all as on Bulgaria's journey into the European Union, which started with their journey to joining NATO. And one of the requirements on a very, very long list of that was the work that we did for him at that time was setting up a very strong um, strategic communicator as well as a very tactical spokesperson. So we had a director of communications and then a spokesperson. Spokesperson was hand-to-hand -hand combat, daily communications. Director of communications was much more strategic, long-term, and that's, that's one of the um, soft targets of for NATO and ultimately for the European Union integration um, back in those days was that you had this sort of they, they, the EU wanted to incentivize organizations to be forward thinking, not just reactionary, exactly like you just said a few minutes ago, by the way. And so that was the work that we did. Other work we did was um, helping them um, on privatizing their pension fund. So we worked for the Bulgarian stock market, creating a, a vehicle for there to be privatization of pension funds. And then that, was, that work was directly related to the Ministry of Labor um, because that's where the pensions were administered. So that's the, that's the quick version of how I worked with the prime minister in 98, 99 pre-NATO. Wow, that is, okay, why'd you leave it? <laughs> I left it. I left it to come run another. I, I left it to come run another campaign. So in 2000, a, a buddy of mine was running for Congress, or was running for U.S. Senate. Um, a congressman running for U.S. Senate in Florida, 
and um, came home in 2000 to run that. And I, I felt like we were doing a lot of really, really great things in Bulgaria and, and I was ready to come home, be with, be with friends and family. Um, yeah. And I got this, you know, neat opportunity to, to get back to running a campaign. Wow. Okay. So then you go from campaign to working with companies. Yep. And so, so, okay. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. I just have a quick question for you before you, was part of what compelled you to do that, that running campaigns always has crisis communication <laughs> attached to it. Absolutely. And you know, for, <laughs> you know, when you're doing campaigns, campaigns are really just sort of crisis to crisis. You're kind of careen you're careening off the walls and the goal yeah. is to have one fewer crisis than the, than the people you're running against. And that's, that's the objective. <laughs> and so we tried to create them and we also tried to minimize their impact um, whenever we worked with our client, with our, whenever we worked with candidates. And so transitioning that to corporations is a pretty logical transition. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bet. I'll bet. And, and it sounds like you're happy you made the transition. Oh, absolutely. Love what I do. I miss politics every now and then. Um, but the, the politics now and, and the politics of then are, are completely different things. So I'm very yeah. happy, you know, working with, with business leaders and, companies big and small as they sort of manage through these situations because this is all we do most people in the this aspect of communications they do crisis as a side 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 gig um but that's this is all we do so we've got a lot of experience in it and, and really like being the calm cool head in the room when that's what people need most that's so great i really appreciate you sharing this information i um i learned an awful lot and and i'm sure that the listeners did too uh, which is always the goal. Um, will you tell the listeners how they can find you and how they can get your book and anything else you think they should know, please? Absolutely. So the name of our firm is Kith, K-I-T-H, and it's kith.co is our website. Um, and I'm at B-C-O-L-E-T-T-I at kith.co is my email. Really active on Twitter. Again, B-C-O-L-E-T-T-I. And then uh, I love LinkedIn. So I pr tried to publish an article a week on LinkedIn about various topics of crisis, crisis leadership for individuals as well as reputation management. Cool. That's so great. Thank you. I'm going to go look that up on LinkedIn. Because I love this subject. I think it's great. And it's so necessary. I mean, it always has been. I just, as we said at the beginning of this, I, I feel like we're sort of in this weird heightened state, especially with the internet. So yeah. Um, the more the more people can learn about what to do and and how to handle things, the calmer they'll be and the better off their company will be. So thanks for for spending time with me and sharing this information. It is it's my pleasure and thank you for what you do. I know just my listening to the episodes of your podcast. I know people uh, find great value and benefit of the people you bring on and the ideas you share. So thank you for what you do. Oh, thank you. It's a it's a labor of love for all the small business owners out there who uh, are really trying to do great things. So, uh, and, and speaking of them, listeners, thank you for tuning in and, and listening. You are absolutely who we're doing this thing for. Uh, and our sponsor, if you would like to get a free trial of audible.com as well as a free audiobook, just go to audibletrial.com slash business growth to sign up. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult 
struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.